Right, and welcome to the UVU Review Quickfire Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Creer, joined by my friend, Tanner Heath. What's up, guys? We are back this week with a great episode for you. We have an interview today with investigative reporter here at the UVU Review, Ty Bainucci. The Nooch. Uh, we will be discussing some of his articles as well as what's going on in the sports world today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, as, as usual, we have our starting five with an interview. It's cut down to three, our big four, which is cut down to two. And we will still be doing a national story, which we will do some more Super Bowl coverage as it is Super Bowl week. Andrew, let's get it. Let's go for it. All right, our first story. Usually we cover this team first for good reason. UVU's men's basketball team went 2-0 and on the road, beating UMKC and Chicago State. Now they're, of course, going to face the WAC newcomer in Cal Baptist. Tanner? What are your thoughts on Cal Baptist? Do you think they're going to give the Wolverines any trouble? Um, I, I think they will because of the two games on the road trip. UVU mm-hmm. trailed in both those games, which, um, yeah, they won both those games pretty pretty handily in the end. But, I, I, I mean, as a team that they haven't seen before and as a team that isn't known um, to other Division One teams, um, I think I think the first half will be interesting, but all in all, I think UVU will pull away in the second half like they have done in the, in their last two games. Yeah, Cal Baptist, they started off pretty strong. I yeah. mean, they beat New Mexico State, which was a big deal. Um, but now they're kind of on the downhill plunge. I think people have started to figure them out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Wolverines are well coached enough that Mark Pope will have it figured out when they uh, come into the UCCU. I think that they're going to beat them. Um, I also think that UVU is probably going to be looking to start winning games at home again. I mean, mm-hmm. now that that streak's over, you you have a new goal, and that's yeah. just keep winning games at home. And so um, Cal Baptist looked a lot scarier at the first of the year. It's because there was not a lot known about them. They beat New Mexico State. They mm-hmm. won some big games in preseason. And now it's kind of seeming like they're going to level out and finish around middle of the conference. Um, I think they're in sixth right now, from what I remember. Yeah. Um, they've had some pretty big losses lately. They lost to Grand Canyon by like 23, 24 points. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was at Grand Canyon, though, which is understandable. So I don't think they're going to give the Wolverines much trouble. However, uh, UVU should stay on their toes because we have seen that Cal Baptist is able to beat good teams when they can. Yeah, so I don't think they should take them lightly, but I, I think it is a game that will stay close early on. Um, like I mentioned before, like the two road games where UVU trailed against UMKC early on, mm-hmm. and they also trailed against Chicago State early on, yeah. which, which was kind of a shock, but they ended up pulling away at halftime and it stayed that way throughout the rest of the game. So I think that's definitely something that they're going to do again tonight. It'll be close in the first, probably, I don't know if the entire first half, we'll see how it goes, it plays mm-hmm. out. Depending on how, for, how that first half goes, whether they're they're leading by a lot or a little, I think they end up winning by double digits tonight. Yeah, I think that UVU's main competition right now, of course, New Mexico State and Grand Canyon. Uh-huh. I think those are the two things, that they, the two teams that they need to be worried about. Um, they're two teams that they've lost to so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if they want to get preferable seating going into the WAC tournament, uh, they should try to beat Grand Canyon when they come here and then really try to beat New Mexico State on their home court, which is going to be a tough yeah, two, task. Yeah, two weeks from tomorrow, I believe. So it'll be it'll be a good game. It'll be a good game for sure. All righty. We will now segue over to the UVU women's team. They went one and one on their recent homestand, losing a close one to UMKC. And Andrew, they avenged their home loss oh, to goodness. Chicago State from last year, beating them by, I believe, 14 points. Sweet. So, Andrew, 
Now they go on the road to face Cal Baptist for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, your thoughts on last week's games as well as your prediction for them at Cal Baptist? Um, well, hats off to them for beating Chicago State. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there was a lot of pressure going into that game because I bet Chicago State went into that game knowing that they won last year mm-hmm. and that gave them some confidence. Um, UVU's women's team, I can, I've, I've said it uh, the past few weeks, but I can officially say there's no doubt that they've been better this season than they were last season. Mm-hmm. Um, they've definitely improved. Um, they're going on the road to face Cal Baptist. I, the thing that I hope for the women's team is I don't want them to finish middle of the conference. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to finish mediocre. You know, yeah. They've played well enough that I want them to finish top three. And I think that they could really prove a lot of people wrong if they do that. Mm-hmm. And I think they've been scary this year. I just, I think that there have been a lot of naysayers on the women's basketball team, understandably, mm-hmm. and they've really proved us all wrong. So I hope that they can go on the road and, and keep proving us wrong because they seem to keep doing it consistently. Yeah. And, you know, that puts them back above 500 um, in conference play, which I think is obviously that's the rest of their goal the rest of the season. I think it should be to finish a game or two above 500. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think they can, you know, as long as, you know, they win a game here, they, they, you know, they lose a game here, they learn something, they win that game. You know, there's winnable games left on the schedule that I think they can, they can come out with. So I agree. And I, I think also um, for their situation, whack women's basketball, it's open season for anybody going into mm-hmm. the tournament. So you might as well get preferable seating, mm-hmm. start your games off at home, and maybe they can they can pull off a miracle and play well in, in the WAC tournament and do something with it. That'd yeah. be really entertaining to see. So we're just going to have to see. All right. Segmenting into the next part of our starting five, the last story, UVU softball has been predicted to finish fourth in the WAC this season with their first game of the season coming up next Saturday at UNLV for a tournament. They've also been, um, they also have two women predicted it on the preseason all WAC team after coming off of a subpar season last year where they finished with a 10-4 and conference record, but an overall record of 21-31. and What are your predictions for the Wolverines this season, Tanner? Um, so after, you know, kind of looking up um, what they're predicted to do this season um, on, the, on that season preview on the website, um, it, 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 looks, it looks good for them um, that they're, they're picked right in the middle of the pack mm-hmm. um, because there's, I believe, eight teams, uh, seven or eight teams that are that have softball programs in the WAC. And to be right in the middle of the pack, I think that's a good look for them. Mm-hmm. Especially because, you know, yeah, we mentioned they had a subpar season at 21 and 31, but they did finish 10 and 4 in conference, which shows they can beat conference foes. Um, so I think their their main goal should be to try to be at 500 with an overall record. Um, but yeah, you want to finish in, you know, that, that they're picked fourth. You want to try to finish in that top three. I feel like that should be your goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think you definitely want to outlive expectations with uh-huh. that one. Um, you know, the thing about the softball team and the baseball team last year is it was, they both had just subpar years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those things where I feel like the recruiting spectrum is big enough in the state of Utah where both of those teams should be fairly successful, mm-hmm. especially when you play at the biggest school in the state. Um, I think baseball is one of those sports where you should be able to at least do pretty well with that large of a student population to pick from. And, yeah. and um, I just think, you know, getting somebody who maybe wasn't expecting to play college baseball and then they can complain or him. I think that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. The thing about the softball and the baseball teams is they've been stuck in this rut for the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully they can try to pull off something that um, they haven't done before, which is 
you know, win the whack and, and go a little bit farther than they have. They've really just kind of been stuck in the same spot for a while. Yeah. And yeah, so just, you know, finishing up with softball, I, I feel like um, they will finish in the top four. Hopefully it's top three. Like we said, I think that should be their goal is to aim a little higher than mm-hmm. that. And I definitely think they can. And uh, obviously we'll get to some more baseball talk, you know, when, when their prediction comes out, I think later this week and they'll get games going in the next week or two. Um, so yeah, look out for that. Um, and now we're going to segue into our big four. We got two stories for that today. We're going to start with the Utah Jazz. They have won three games in a row. We're going to talk some trade rumor. And we also want to mention that Donovan Mitchell will be playing in the Rising Stars game. Mm-hmm. So starting off with the three wins in a row, the Jazz have looked really good lately. Um, beat a really good Nuggets team last week. I was, I was uh, shocked. I was shocked that they beat the Nuggets. Yeah. Um, so there's something about this Jazz team this year that it seems so similar to last year where for some reason when they kick it off into the second half of the season, they, they just play really well. They mm-hmm. get things figured out. Um, and that leads into my question though, with how well they're playing, do you think they still need to make a move or should they just stay where they're at? Um, that's really hard. You know, I've been, I've been thinking about that a lot lately too, because you have, you know, you have all these, these rumors out here. You know, I even saw a rumor today that they might have a shot at pulling off a deal for an Anthony Davis. You know, maybe he would like to play in a market like this with a guy like Donovan Mitchell, but then maybe you have to give up Donovan Mitchell, you know, to Mm -hmm. get that type of guy. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of crazy trade talk. I've still seen the Mike Conley stuff, the Otto Porter stuff. So it's just how much do you want to mess up that chemistry? Because we've talked on the show before about how much, you know, these guys, like, they, they like each other a lot. Mm-hmm. They get along with each other a lot. You never hear anything bad about, you know, guys bashing each other. They always have each other's backs. So it's like, how much do you want to split up that chemistry with mm-hmm. how well you're playing right now? You know, what, what, what are you going to get on, on investment on your return? Mm-hmm. You know, if you get a Mike Conley, you're going to give up Ricky Rubio. The guys like Ricky Rubio. But Mike Conley, you know, he, I feel like he's a better asset to the team. But yeah. how's he going to gel? How's he going to fit in? How's it all going to work before the postseason starts? Mm-hmm. That's that's my question. How much do you want to mess it up? And I don't even yeah. want to be messing it up, but how much do you want to try to make it gel in a short amount of time? I agree. Um, I think that's been one of my major concerns as a Jazz fan is when you make those trades right before the trade deadline, is it going to completely kill the chemistry that you've developed? Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of saw, saw that at the beginning of the season. It kind of felt like the team wasn't really all gelled together yeah. and they played really poorly and they didn't play good defense. The offense really struggled. And now that they've progressed throughout the season, they're playing the second best defense in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, with the Anthony Davis thing, you know, my pitch for the Anthony Davis thing is if you can somehow work out a trade to get him, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert on the floor at the same time. I think if you make that pitch to him, I mean, I don't think that's the craziest thing in the world. Yeah. I mean, if you put Anthony Davis and Rudy Gobert on the floor at the same time, yeah, I don't know what a team's plan is to stop that. Yeah, because we, we saw that in New Orleans for that season and a half when DeMarcus Cousins was there. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, he's more of a shooter than Rudy Gobert is, but you have that presence down low. You have guys who can, sh- you know, shoot that short jump, that short range jumper, and you have Davis who stretches the floor. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and on defense, it would be unreal down low. So, you know, if you can make that pitch, that'd be awesome. But the thing is, is when you have, when you're trying to make a deal like that, they're going to want, you know, your best young player. Cause we've seen when they're the, you know, the possible deals that they would have to make with the Lakers and they're going to have to flush out, you know, their three best young guys for that. It's like, do you want to do that? Um, in hopes that you're going to get enough, you know, some more pieces in the off season that want to come join along. Um, so that, that's another aspect to it. Well, and I think that the Jazz's strategy is much more long-term than LA. Definitely. Uh, LA is starting to slowly see that, uh, LeBron James is aging. Yeah. He's not going to be there for forever. And so they need to make some moves to try to win him a championship in LA. 
Um, I, I think that the Anthony Davis thing's a long shot for the Jazz. Yeah. I think that the Mon- Mike Conley thing is very realistic. Definitely. Um, and I prefer that trade. You know, I love Ricky Rubio. I think he's a great asset to the team. I think that he provides a lot of good team chemistry. However, um, you know, he's only recently started playing well the last five games. Yeah. He hasn't played well all year. And he's had injury problems. Yeah, and he's been hurt. And I think that just... You know, the the thing I always say for the Mike Conley pitch is just picture if we had a Ricky Rubio that could score 20 points a game every game. Yeah. Because that's what Mike Conley averages. Yeah. And I think that if you can get another guy on the floor that can consistently score 20 points besides Donovan Mitchell, you become a lot more competitive in a lot Definitely. more different aspects. All right. So segmenting to our next story, BYU football announced their official schedule, including the first four games against Power 5 teams. Um, they start off, of course, with the Utah Utes at Lavelle Edwards Stadium, then they go to Tennessee, then they'll play again at Lavelle Edwards Stadium against USC and Washington. Tanner, you're a big BYU fan. What are your thoughts on their opening schedule? Um, I always like when any team in general, not, not just you know, BYU or Utah, starts their schedule um, you know, off with a bang, you know, tougher than you know, it, it, it needed to be. Because mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously you could throw in some of those teams they have at the end of the season, um, like I, I looked up, they play, you know, Liberty and Idaho state for their last two games, but you want to prove on, you want to prove early on that, that you can win those games. And so I think it's important to, to play bigger games, maybe a little earlier than at the back of your schedule. I mean, sure. At the, the end of your schedule, um, you know, you could look at it as, well, it might be a bad thing to play those teams. Cause what if you're banged up by the end of the season, which was the case this year for BYU, they, you know, a lot of injuries, same with Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, or do you want to play these teams at the beginning when you're fresh, you know, you don't really know if this team's going to end up being any good. You know, for example, USC, you know, people are like, oh, that, like, that might not be a, a good game because they weren't good last year. Well, it's a new season. They have, you know, new players, new, co- new players, no new coaches on the coaching staff. They still have the same head coach, but, you know, they, they, what if they turn things around this offseason? So it's important to, you know, you, ha- you, you schedule these games a couple years in advance, you know, um, and hopefully it falls in the sense of all these four teams end up having good seasons and, you know, maybe you go two and two against those teams and it helps you out during um, bowl selection and bowl season. Um, so I think it's I think I think it's a good look for their schedule this year. Yeah, I think it's it was their only option. I think that it's hard in a Power Five conference to schedule a team like BYU at the end of the year. Yeah. Um. So that's why they play those weak teams at the end of the year. Uh-huh. Um. I mean, it's like you said, you schedule these games years in advance. Um. I think USC will be overrated because they're always overrated. Yeah. I bet they break top twenty-five. I, I bet that they in the preseason rankings. I bet they break. Yeah. They, top 25. Yeah. That's just how it is. Um. And so that'll be nice for BYU to beat them. If I'm looking at that game schedule right now, it's like it's like I've said, I'm really worried about that first game for Utah because they always just play really bad their first few games. Um, but if I had to predict what that schedule is going to be like, going to Tennessee is going to be a hard game for yeah. BYU to win. Um, I think BYU could beat USC. I don't think they're going to be able to beat Washington. Yeah. And Utah's a toss-up. I would have to give it to the Utes just for personal preference. So I think they go one and three on that schedule. Yeah. But if you can beat USC at home against Lavelle Edwards at Lavelle Edwards Stadium and sell mm-hmm. out your stadium and get a win, yeah, get some confidence in Wilson's in in Wilson and just see how he yeah. does. Um, that's a tough schedule, though. Yeah. I mean, especially to go to an SEC team. Yeah, I bet it's Tennessee's home opener. Yeah, and so that's gonna be rough. Yeah, it's gonna be a rough time. Um, and the other thing to look at there, though, too, is you know three of these four teams um, are teams that are having transitions, you know, USC with the coaching staff and some new players, mm-hmm. Washington, they lose their, you know, their star quarterback that's been there for the last three years. So they're going to have new transitions. Um, Tennessee, 
Um, they've they've had they've been kind of down the last couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, they could definitely go one and three. I, I my prediction is two and two. I think they pull off one of those games, um, either you know at Tennessee or they beat either USC or Washington, mm-hmm. um, and that's going to help them throughout the rest of the season for sure. You know, um, I have their schedule right here as well. Um, so does that mean you're giving them the automatic win against the Utes the first game of the year? I'll wait and see. That's gonna. I mean, I'll, my personal. I mean, I'm with you personal preference. I think BYU wins, especially because Utah's always. You know, they're so unpredictable at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. But I mean, BYU is just as well um, in their own right. Um, so that, that one to me can, will be a toss-up. But I think the Tennessee game could go either way depending on how Tennessee is looking at that point at the beginning of the season. Um, I definitely do think that they should beat USC. Um, and the Washington game could go either way depending on how they look, you know, in, in week four with a new quarterback. Well, and the other thing about it too is I think um, just scheduling-wise, BYU's home opener against Utah, I think, means a lot more to them. Yeah. That's kind of the other thing that scares me about that game is Utah's going to be focused on winning the Pac-12. Uh-huh. I mean, they came close this year. They they were runners-up in the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, but I think I think if you give Kyle Whittingham an entire offseason to prepare, I think he's going to do okay in that opening game. Mm-hmm. But it's just one of those things where we're just going to have to see. So we take a look at their schedule here. So we mentioned the first four games, and then they will go... Uh, on a two-game road trip um, at Toledo and at South Florida. Um, both will be interesting games. You know, Toledo's usually at the top of the MAC conference, and South Florida the last couple of years. South has, Florida was not bad last year yeah, they, at all. Yeah, they almost knocked off um, UCF that year. UCF went undefeated um, and were the fake national champions. <laughs> and then the uh, traditional game against Boise State, which is always a tough game. That one will be at home. However, that... Oh, that the thing is though is the last time I saw BYU play Boise State at Lavelle Edwards, so that would have been two years ago. Yeah, that was that might have been BYU's worst game that, that was year. A, that was a bad game. It was bad. It was like I, I remember because I I uh, my dad gave me his tickets. I actually went on a date there, and it was just it was horrible. That was a horrible game. Um, and then the obviously tradition uh, play Utah State at Utah State, which. It, it normally doesn't seem like a big game, but it has become that game the last couple well, of years. Well, when you've lost to them the last two years, exactly. like, you better go up there and win. Yeah. Um, so that game will be later than usual. It'll be in November mm-hmm. um, than it has been the last couple of years. And then, obviously, I mentioned their last two home games will come against Liberty and Idaho State. And then they'll finish on the road at UMass and at San Diego State. Uh, San Diego State's not going to be a rollover no. for their last game. Which I think is a good last game to, to, to schedule right before, you know, bowl season starts. Mm-hmm. I think if I take a look at their schedule here, working it out. Hmm. I, I think, I you know, know. That's a seven, that's a potential seven to eight win season. Exactly. That's what them. I was just going to say. I say, I say, you know, best case scenario, eight and four. Mm-hmm. Most predictable scenario, se- seven and five. Which well, because I, than last I year. think out of that, that stand against Boise State and Utah State, they're going to win at least one of those games. Yeah. They'll beat Liberty. They'll beat Idaho State. They'll beat UMass. They should beat San Diego State. Yeah. Um, it's just going to be the first part of their schedule that's really hard for it's, them. It's going to kind of determine it, I feel mm-hmm. like. But their schedule, not by any means, it's not a cupcake schedule. I mean, no. that that middle of the road, like South Florida, Boise State, Utah State, even Toledo. I mean, those aren't like easy games. I no. mean, you have to go unprepared and be and be ready yeah, for and that's back to back games, you know, on the East Coast, you know, traveling there back to back weeks. Um, so really, there's only, you know, I would say three kind of cupcake games. Mm-hmm. Um, but but even then, you know, 
it, it's college football. It, it can be unpredictable. Like we saw like two years ago, they lost to UMass at home. Um, so this year, they, they, on this last year, they beat UMass. They're going back to UMass. So, you know, games that don't turn out to be tough can be tougher in the end or games, you know, that, you know, we think are going to be tough. They may, may, maybe come out and win that big game more handily than predicted. So it'll be interesting. And obviously, you know, in the next couple of weeks with Utah's official schedule coming out, we'll be talking about that as well. Um, so man, Utah's part of the Pac-12 is just hard. It's just a, it's, it's so even yeah. across the board. Um, there aren't any like rollover teams. I don't feel like in that part of the Pac-12, and especially in the Southern Conference. Yeah. You know, in the North, you have a team like Oregon State. You know, and and that's a pretty easy game. But Utah's part of the Pac-12 is just tough, so it'll be interesting to see what their schedule's like. Yeah. Alrighty. Now we are going to segue into our interview with Ty Bainucci. We will insert it here. So go ahead, uh, stay tuned. Um, we hope you enjoy it. Yeah, uh, Ty's a great journalist. Um, been working with Ty for around two years now. Great investigative journalist. Wrote for Sports for forever. Um, he's just he's a really talented writer, and he's really good at what he does. So it'll be interesting to ask him a few questions about that. So here he is, Ty Bonucci. Here's the nooch. We're here with Ty the Nooch by Nucci, one of my good friends here at the UV Review. We've got a few questions for you. How are you doing today, Ty? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Andrew and Tanner. Thank you for being on. So I think you obviously know where my first question is going to come from with the two big articles you've written on the women's basketball team. What are your thoughts on their turnaround? Um, yeah, just their turnaround in general and how the women's team's playing. Oh, well, I was shocked. To be honest with you, um, I you know I I said this before the season though when you have no expectations, that's a that's the best thing for a team. And they went in, no one expected them to even really, you know, do anything in conference play. They open up four zero to start the season. Um, you know, if anything, that's a victory for the rest of the year. I mean, they they need to you know keep playing well, but you know I. The, the fact that they've even, you know, beat a team like Bakersfield, that's huge. I mean, that does so much for your confidence for next year because, you know, no one expected them to do anything this year. Well, I was even worried about them with Chicago State coming to town again because that that's a yeah, game that's that they dropped that, last That's something year. Andrew loves to point out. I, I love that game. No, no just, matter when we talk about the women's basketball team, I think that gets brought up every other time. <laughs> Yeah, they lost in front of a bunch of middle schoolers. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of funny. It is, it's and funny. but it's it's sad though. It was sad. It was rock bottom for the program. Yeah, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. But you know, they beat them. What a week ago or so. Yeah, they beat them just the other day. Yeah, this last weekend. So now they've got California. California just tapped my hat on the microphone there. Uh, California Baptist coming up on the road. Um, that's today. Oh no, it's tomorrow. And then after that, they face all these whack teams for the second time. So I am really interested to see how they uh, do against those teams, because you know now that they've because no one really knew what UVU had. I mean, every year it seems like they're shuffling their roster. So now that uh, these teams have had a chance to see the foreign players, like Eve Brazilius, I believe her name is, and that. Um, 
the new player from Australia. Which I forget. Is it? Yeah, that's the one from from Australia. Anyway, um, so it'll be interesting to see how they respond to them. How they, if they can still keep the games close, like they have the first the first round. So also speaking of women's basketball, you have Alexis Cortez. We wrote a profile piece on her last year. Um, she's been very impressive for the women's team. Um, she's won WAC Player of the Week multiple times. She's kind of been the face of the comeback for the team. What do you think her importance is? And, and you know, she's going to be a senior next year. Do you think she's going to have a big impact next year as well? You know, I do. She's six feet tall. She's a guard. She can handle the ball uh, pretty well. But she's a good shooter. I mean, she was perfect from uh, uh, beyond the arc, and uh, I can't remember which game it was, but it was a, one of those whack wins at home. And and yeah, she just adds a dynamic presence to that team, and that's what you know college basketball needs right now is players like her. You know, long arms, can handle the ball well, can shoot, can still finish at the at the basket. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see. I hope that they can get another shooter to take some pressure off her. And then, you know, if you have another shooter, like even the, the freshman Emma Jones, she looks like she's a pretty good shooter. So, so yeah, hopefully they can uh, use her um, shooting ability over the next, you know, next year as well. So. All righty. We'll segue into men's basketball. Ty, what are your thoughts so far on this season just as a whole, or if you want to compare it to last season at this point, um, what are your thoughts? Well, two things. One, I'm seeing very similar things that I've seen throughout the years that I've covered the men's team where they they are tough, they play hard, but in the last few minutes, they kind of tighten up. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that this team is this team's going to be together. That was my second point. They're going to be together for um, a little bit longer than most of Pope's teams have been. I mean, they have... Some, some more years of eligibility with a lot of these guys. So I'm really excited to see what they do with that, if they can take these losses. Like they lost, you know, kind of blew it at, with New Mexico State yeah. at home. So I'm hoping that they're able to take that and, you know, gain some experience. Um, you know, you never know in the, in the WAC tournament what's going to happen, but hopefully they'll be able to play some close games there and uh, pull out one or two. And then next year, you know, when you have um, that other guard from Oklahoma State coming in, Brandon Averett, you know, you have a really good chance to win the WAC next year. Yeah. So I, as you know, UVU fans probably don't want to hear it. It feels like every year we're talking about, oh, is this going to be a team that's going to make a run? Well, I think next year's team is really the one to look and, at. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking about too, is, you, you know, every time I look at the roster, you see multiple guys who are redshirt juniors. Um, who have already gotten a lot of experience from their former schools they were at. Um, and now they have that extra year of eligibility next year, as well as, you know, the, some of the younger guys that are that are sophomores and juniors um, that aren't redshirt that are getting big minutes this year, along with the guy you mentioned, Brandon Averett. The team next year is going to be exciting. You know, we you know not to look ahead to next year, you hope that, you know, this team can go on and run, get some experience in that way, and that would even be bigger for next year. But, but next year's team is going to be fun. Yeah, it is going to be fun. And Bailey Steele has been a pleasant surprise. I think that he's done a good job of, you know, putting some mass on him. I mean, he's he's a bigger guy than than you uh, think when you first see him. But I think that he has been getting beat a little bit, you know, down on the defensive uh-huh. end. It really hurt losing Connor McDougal. He yeah. was, you know, he's a big presence. Um, what, what was his injury again? 
Uh, something to do with his pinky. Okay, uh, he's got I, thought a big it, yeah, I thought it was some type of arm injury. Yeah, and he's going to be out. They figure he'll be out, I think they said six weeks or so, and they're, they're hoping they'll get him back for the WAC tournament. Yeah. But uh, Bailey Steele, uh, I'm expecting big things from him. I'm hoping he steps up the rest of the season. He's been a little inconsistent, um, but uh, he, you know, he had a really good game at Chicago State, but then again. Yeah, you know, he's had some games that have been borderline double-double, and if he can kind of take just even the littlest of a step, and get you know average almost a double double a game that'll be huge for him, especially without Connor McDougal, um, who's who before his injury was a, you know a double double guy, um, especially because things I've noticed about every game so far this season is they they've gotten out rebounded almost every game, and after the New Mexico State game, you know Coach Pope mentioned that two things that came back to bite him was was turnovers, and being out rebounded, and they you know there's been many multiple games I shouldn't say many multiple games this season where, um. UVU um, has won, but they've had more turnovers and they've gotten out rebounded. And he said that the New Mexico State game, you know, finally showed that you can't do that every game. And they finally, you know, won those two battles uh, on the road trip this last week, um, which I think was huge. Yeah. And you know who is a real uh, key to this team, I think, is Wyatt Lowell. He's a freshman, but I was really pleasantly surprised to see how well he can shoot the ball. Yeah. Um, I did not expect that. And uh, if he can, when he comes in and he starts making shots, I mean, it's like a, you know, a huge momentum builder for mm-hmm. that team. And they seem to rally around him. He, he really is a, um, a, an important player on that team that I don't think is getting as much credit as he, as he should. Yeah. And especially in that New Mexico State game, um, I think he ended up going perfect from the three-point line. And that was huge because it seems like every shot he hit was right after a New Mexico State run. Where they went on a run of a couple points in a row to you know pull within pull within a couple points of of the Wolverines, but but games like that um, are kind of what you know separates guys like him from other guys who are getting big minutes um, that are gonna you know have him be in certain situations that, you know in crunch time um, because he's proving that he can do it you know consistently, which I think is big. Exactly, and if he can get bigger, you know, um, get in there and get a few more rebounds, he looks like he's averaging. Um, 2.3 rebounds a game. So if he could get that up, um, that would be huge for this team because they seem to really be struggling um, on the front court, in the front court. Yeah. All right. My next question for you, Ty. Um, What do you think the most unique aspect of covering sports at UVU is? Like what makes it unique comparatively to anywhere else you're going to cover sports? I think it's a wide open field. That's one thing that's been really attractive to me covering UVU is that they don't get coverage. And so, you know, it's you can be as creative as you want because, you know, it's very likely that no one else has told that story. Um, with that said, you know, sometimes I feel a little bit of a pressure to just cover the basics, you know, be a, a regular beat reporter for these guys because they're not getting that kind of coverage or at least very much there's you know Kyle McDonald's a very diligent reporter for them but uh that's more of a, a blog type situation so uh, but with that said you know I think there's just so much that's not being told about this team and I think that's what's what's very exciting um as far as UVU in general I mean you you talk about you know basket men's basketball is a microcosm for the whole school I mean the whole school is not getting covered you have a big 12 wrestling team that's very good, and they they don't get as much coverage as they should. So I think that's one thing that's really interesting about UVU is that they're mm-hmm. just uh, 
it's wide open right now. There's there it's a the biggest school in the state and and uh the coverage of that hasn't quite come around yet. The building the fan base is, is still a work in progress. All right, Ty, what has been your favorite you know, favorite thing you've covered or favorite piece you've written um since uh being on the staff here at UVU? Anything, sports or, or anything? Anything. You know, let's do let's do your favorite sports and then your favorite overall if something trumps that. Okay. My favorite sports story that I've worked on, uh, it's actually a story that's just going to come out in the next couple of weeks. It's about the men's basketball team. Yeah. It's a story that I, I wanted to write ever since I got acquainted with the team. Um, and that's that you have these players transferring in from all over the country, mm-hmm. uh, totally different cultural backgrounds. Um, you have, you're mixing, uh, white kids, white Mormon kids from Utah and Idaho with black kids from, you know, Minneapolis and Texas, Inglewood. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's a really diverse and interesting locker room and talking to Pope over the, over the years, he always says, you know, we have a very complex, interesting locker room and, and you know, Pope will never go too far into that. But as I dug into that um, dynamic, I just found that, you know, these guys come here to take their basketball careers seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it was a really fun thing to see. Um, so, yeah, so that story is going to come out in the next couple of weeks. Um, but that, one's, that one was fun because I got to yeah. talk to all these different players. Several of them are playing professionally now around the world. And um, some really just amazing stories, like of redemption. You have... Uh-huh. Um, you know, Isaac Nielsen comes here after getting cut from BYU. Yeah. The team he wanted to play for since he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, Rose tells him there's not a spot for him. So he had to really, you know, swallow his pride to come to UVU at yeah. that time because he's going across the street to, you know, he couldn't, a lot of people didn't even think UVU was a Division One program. Mm-hmm. And he's coming to, to you know, this school that everyone considers the little brother of BYU. Well, he goes into BYU in Provo, you know, and beats them mm-hmm. in 2016. I mean, that's an amazing story of redemption. You have Brandon Randolph, who, you know, transferred from Xavier, big time recruit, um, swallows his pride a little bit to come to UVU, has a little bit of a difficult time finding his role on the team. You know, sometimes, you know, would uh, lose minutes at, at times in games especially in the WAC tournament and uh, but he comes through really finds his stride becomes a, a, a vocal leader on the team and in addition to that he's the first person in his family to graduate from college mm-hmm. I mean that's an amazing story so that one that one was uh, my favorite sports story and it hasn't come out yet but my yeah. favorite overall story I think was uh, probably um, just the one I did last week, I was able to go write a, a profile on uh, a local band, mm-hmm. and I never really thought that I would be covering the music scene in Provo. Yeah, and it's it's pretty amazing to see how you just kind of just kind of fall into these opportunities, and that was that was pretty fun hanging out in the green room uh, of Valor. So that's awesome. And just going back to um, what you mentioned about the men's basketball team, and you know, players coming here and kind of having to you know, shift gears in the sense of, you know, their mindset or the role that they're going to have. 
Um, something that Coach Pope told uh, Andrew and I when we interviewed him a couple weeks ago was that um, one of his goals as a coach, um, it goes along with what you said, one of his goals as a coach is for his players that come here, it's not something that they, you know, coming out of high school or if they were a top recruit, they got to a, a bigger university, didn't have a big role and then comes here. It's not, it's not something that they probably dreamed of, but he hopes that by the time they're done here and they look back, it was something that they would have never, like, they, they were so happy there that they never would have thought it would have been something that they dreamed of. Um, and I thought that was really cool. And, you know, hearing from what you told us in a little sneak preview from your article, it sounds like that's what, what's been happening. And I think he's doing really well with that goal. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, as, as much as I am, you know, wary of UVU's chances in the WAC tournament and, and, you know, gaining a bid to the NCAA tournament, like we all hope they're going to do, uh, he's very successful in shaping these young men. Mm-hmm. You know, they are leaving the program uh, with an understanding of what it takes to be, you know, professional, not just in the basketball sense, but, um, you know, with their careers outside of basketball. Um, you know, Isaac Nielsen and and uh, Zach Nelson as well, they, or they both have incredible jobs now, mm-hmm. right out of college. And it, I really think that comes from the work ethic that Pope instills in them. They're they're one of the only teams um, that still do two a days for training camp. They do two a days for like I think they said six weeks or something like that. I mean that's you know that will <laughs> that will take its toll. I mean you you mm-hmm. will know what it's like to work hard after that. Yeah. Well, and I think Pope's able to do things like that because I think his players respect him to a point where they will do what he asks them to do. Mm-hmm. Because I think he truly does have a belief in every member of his team. Um, I think that that kind of narrative comes through with Richard Harward. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that that guy was projected to not get any minutes this year, you know, a local guy from Orem High School, wasn't really projected to do much at UVU. Coach Pope had the knowledge and gave him the opportunity because he knew that he could go out there and play the role that he was assigned to play. So I think that that's one of the advantages you have when you have Mark Pope as a coach is, you know, he may not win the WAC tournament every year. He may not get you an NCAA bid, but at least all of his players love him and they'll do what they ask him to do. So, Mm -hmm. So, Ty, my final question for you is kind of a bonus question. I want you to talk about your most hated sports organization and why. Wow. Really unleashing me on this First of all, what sport does it come in? Well, I think that my hatred... For the Seattle Seahawks is still fresh. I mean, I was going to just immediately jump to the Los Angeles Dodgers. That was my guess. Well, that's a good guess, Andrew. It would and it, you know it would have been right, except for the Giants. You know they've won three World Series in the last you know eight years, so I'm not too concerned. The Dodgers have lost two World Series in a row. I'm feeling okay. <laughs> but the Seahawks. It all goes back to that 2013 NFC Championship. Richard Sherman makes that incredible play, and then he does the choke sign to uh, Crabtree. To or well, he made it well, to Kaepernick, you, and then yeah. he goes over to Crabtree, yeah. tries to shake his hand. I my hatred for Richard. Oh, and then he had the interview with Aaron Andrews. Totally forgot about that, yeah. where he like was screaming at Aaron Andrews. So I hated the Seahawks. You know, that whole rivalry then with Harbaugh. And I, it really hasn't gone away yet because the 
The Niners did beat the Seahawks this last year, but they, they're still good. So that's my, my most hated franchise. I hate Pete Carroll. But you have Richard Sherman now, so what are your thoughts on him? It's tough. I, I really can't cheer for him. I still don't like it. How the, And the Niners have marketed him to death because they don't have a lot of you know veteran players. Yeah. And it's brutal. I don't like cheering for him. You know, it has been nice for me, though, because um, our division was so good for so long, and now it really sucks. And so the Rams just win the division by week eight now, and I'm totally cool with that. But, yeah, I wonder when the Niners are going to turn it around. I don't know about them. This was supposed to be the year, you know, with but I didn't Garoppolo. Think, I didn't think it was going to be the year well, from day one. I honestly expected them to win nine or ten games this year. See, I did too. But you lost Jarek McKinnon, their running back they signed in free agency. Yep. You lose Jimmy Garoppolo. Too. You, you know, Dante Pettis, didn't, he really didn't have a great year. Their, you know, their high draft pick for the wide receiver. Uh, Marquise Goodwin was hurt, didn't have an, a great year. They, you know, Kendrick Bourne, you know, you can't rely on Kendrick Bourne as a wide receiver. On defense, they're... Um, you know, they really got better as time went on, but their secondary was bad. And they should, they had all those close games. They almost beat the Packers on Monday night, which, you know, in hindsight doesn't mean much, I guess, with the season the Packers had. But, yeah. uh, you know, I really have hope in the Niners. This will be the year because everyone's been giving Shanahan and Lynch so much leeway because they signed those six-year contracts, complete rebuild. But this will be the year because they've had you know, two years under their belt, this will be the, the make it or break it year to, to really know what, if they're able to win or not. I just, from a personal note, I just remember the, the, the Niners being projected to be so good this year. And I just remembered thinking like, yeah, but if you line up Los Angeles against San Francisco, Los Angeles is going to win. Like the roster's just better. Like I just didn't see like the turnaround for the Niners year. I didn't see it happening. Um, but I can agree with you. I don't hate the Seahawks that much, but because I grew up with a dad who is from Seattle, cheers for the Seahawks. But I did live. I did live. I did live in the land of the twelfth man, and I can tell you that it is horrible. They're, it's horrible. Yeah, it's it's really bad. Alrighty, my bonus question uh, is an obvious one because it's Super Bowl week, and this is where the end of our show is going to focus on. Uh, Ty, what's your Super Bowl prediction for this week? Let's do a score and a winner. Oh, score? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You put me on the spot yeah. with a score. Um, I am going to say 31 to 28 Patriots. That was actually my identical score. And I know this is going to hurt, Andrew, but it's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and I do not have confidence in Jared Goff. I think their defense is really good, the Rams' defense, but... I mean, after seeing Tom Brady come back against the Falcons, like, and he just doesn't even seem to care. Like, it's like a he knows he's going to come back. He just knows you can't give him time. I would be scared, my friend. I would. There's no fear. I watched Jared Goff in the second half of the Superdome, and he dominated. I'm not scared about Jared Goff. Um, like I said, though, this game's a toss-up, and the Patriots actually do scare me a lot. <laughs> I like the honesty. They, they really do. I just get 2003 flashbacks, you know? It just it really scares me. I don't, yeah, I don't like it. But go Rams. They're going to win on Sunday, and then I can finally 
get a cool hoodie that says Los Angeles Rams Super Bowl champions. And I'm going to be really happy. I hope that, that happens for you. Well, thank you, Ty, for coming on the show. Do you have, do you have any final things to say? I don't, I don't know that I do. Uh, you're really, again, putting me on the spot here. That's what we do. That's what we do. Things to say. Well, tonight, UVU's playing, who are they playing? Seattle, is it? At home? The men's team? Yeah. Cal Baptist for the first time. Oh, it's Cal Baptist. Yeah. Okay, so I, you know, hopefully they can grab another win there. Um, that's all I got. All right, thanks, Ty. Okay, that was Ty Bayanucci. We hope you enjoyed the interview. We are now going to finish with our regular final stretch. As it is Super Bowl week, we will be doing our final, final predictions, as we did a prediction last week. If we want to make any last adjustments, we have to do it now. And then we will talk about some headlines that we think are kind of, you know, out of the ordinary or that are just plain sight out there that were obvious. But first, I want to throw in a little segment into our final stretch. It's Talking Brad Rock. As you guys know... We love Brad. We kind of disagreed with an article last week during our Big Four about uh, BYU and Utah that uh, our hopeful friend one day, Brad Rock, wrote. Um, We say that in hopes that we get him on the show Mm -hmm. in the coming month uh, so that we can just, you know, talk sports to them and see why he writes what he writes. So the article titled about the Super Bowl that he wrote this morning is titled, Dear Super Bowl Fanatics, Get a Life. M-Dash, Get a Life. So we'll read a little excerpt from it. So at the beginning, it says, Every year during Super Bowl week, stories faithfully report how bodacious the game has become, and it has. Which we, we did kind of agree with. Yeah. But he says, People who wouldn't know a place kicker from a placemat suddenly feign interest. Not fans, or non-fans attend watch parties. It is the only way to get anyone to talk to you during the bowl week. Which is kind of true. At the, under, at the other end of the spectrum are truly invested. A survey conducted by personal finance website WalletHub claims 52% of Americans would be happy to give up a year's vacation time in exchange for their favorite team winning the Super Bowl. Since I have fair experience at both vacationing and Super Bowls, I feel safe in saying there is no comparison. Just want to point out that is a very sick brag. <laughs> and then he says, I'll take a sunset in Kauai every time. So, cutting Brad off here for a little bit. Does he just not know what it's like to be a fan? Like, does he just not get it? Well, and let's scroll down to the bottom yeah. where he talks about, um, he then says, it's hard to imagine anyone going to a sporting event intending to get bloodied and beaten. I've always been glad to be in journalism where there's no need to be a fan. I'm in favor of eliminating anything that makes my blood pressure rise. And then says, a friend once told me, I watched you at the jazz game. You didn't cheer at all. You just sat there and once in a while wrote something down or typed on your screen. I don't know how you do that. He then says, I mostly try to treat it like work. Here's my thing. Like you can separate being a journalist and being a fan. Like, I don't know. Like he's not going to be covering the Super Bowl this year. Obviously he's yeah. not going to be there from Des news. Yeah. And just to know, yeah, he know, he said at the top, he has covered Super Bowls before, which credit respect. To yeah. That. Well, and the thing is, is, if you're covering the Super Bowl, I totally get not being completely like, Oh, for sure. Fandomed out. But like, I don't know, for his opening paragraph for him to be like, all these casual people love the Super Bowl. It's like, yeah, that's why the Super Bowl is awesome. Yeah. Because everyone loves watching the Super Bowl. One day, Monday after the, one day, Monday after the Super Bowl is going to be a holiday. I, I guarantee it. Yeah. One day. Yeah. Because it's like, it's the Super Bowl. Like, that's what I love. That's what I kind of loved about um, the jazz season last year was 
when they started playing really well, it seemed like everybody in the state was all of a sudden interested in Utah Jazz yeah, basketball. Yeah, I'm, I'm noted as a Lakers fan, and I loved watching him play. You know, it's like yeah. you, they're they're making me interested in watching him play. I'm not a fan of them, but mm-hmm. you you got to acknowledge they're fun to watch. Well, and, it's the same thing here. Yeah, well, and the thing is, is like, did I have the option during that time period to be like, all oh, these fake Jazz fans? Like, yeah, did I have to watch uh, Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap in 2011, 2012? Exactly. You bet I did. Yeah. But I'm still overjoyed that people are happy to be watching the Jazz exactly. and they've become such a thing. And so the thing is, is for him to be like all these casual people who love the Super Bowl and no, 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 no. It's like, yeah, that's what the Super, that's what the Super Bowl's for. Yeah. The other thing is, is for him, because this is, because this article really rings to me because my team is in the Super Bowl this year. Mm-hmm. I really want them to win. Yeah. I've been waiting for a very long time for the Rams to win a Super Bowl, like a long time. And so for him to just be like, for people to even treat it like it's a big deal. It's like, it is a big deal. Like, I really care. I want them to win super bad. Yeah. Would I give, now would I give up a year of vacation time? Yes, I would. I think I would give up a year of um, vacation time. And personally. Then, yeah. And Andrew mentions that because he says in here that um, he goes on another paragraph to say, apparently I'm missing something. And this is where the Wallet Hub survey really fakes me out. It says 31% of respondents would give up their annual bonuses to have their favorite team win the Super Bowl. And above is where he was talking about um, 52% of Americans giving up a year's vacation in exchange for their favorite team winning, like we read earlier. Um, so some of this is kind of blown out of proportion. Some people are crazy. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Brad Rock has nuts. that dead on. Yeah. Some like, people are, you know, maybe too much of a fan, mm-hmm. but being a fan in general is fun. And yeah. I don't see why you, he thinks it, it can't be fun. And that's what I don't understand. Like you'd think as a sports yeah. journalist, he would understand that's a and huge that's, part of the game. And that's the part of the article that we're getting at. There, mm-hmm. uh, There's definitely a lot of truth in it. Mm-hmm. And there's things that I agree about. And I think that are crazy that he mentions in here. But the reason we're nitpicking it, the reason we brought it up was one, because we talked about him last week and we found another article. Yeah. And two, because he, he, he pretty much states that it's not fun to be a fan. Or that it's just, it's crazy and a waste of time. Yeah. And it's like, you're a sports journalist. Yeah. Like, don't you understand the important aspect of fandom within I sports? And I, I hope he realizes that fans help his job. Because if fans aren't showing up to a game, there's not really a game to be played. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of like, you know, the early 1940s and 50s NBA. And yeah. then going into the 60s and 70s where the league almost died. Yeah. It's because no one was interested. Uh-huh. And now you have these people who are super fans. You have these people who go to every single game and that the NBA is their life. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason the NBA has survived. Um, and well, that and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Yeah. But the thing is, is I just, I don't get it. Like, like I couldn't imagine how fun, if you were actually from Boston, how fun it would be to be a Patriots fan Definitely. in these last 20 years. So I just don't get it. I don't, I don't understand Definitely. it. Definitely. So I think here what the title should have been is Dear Super Bowl Fanatics, just chill out a little bit. Yeah, just chill out. You have a life. You're enjoying it. Have fun. If you're a Patriots or a Rams fan, have fun this week. Have fun this weekend. Well, and even members of my family can attest to the fact that um, when Greg the Legs or Lean hit that, uh, was it 57 yards? Yeah. When he hit that field goal, I ran outside. Yeah. I was so excited. I was so excited that I ran out onto my front lawn and I freaked out. Yeah. Did I like go start a riot? No. No. 
But does that mean I don't have a life? I don't think so. I just think it means I just think it means that I'm really excited that the Rams are finally in the Super Bowl. Yeah. So whether you're a fan of both teams, whether you're a fan of Super Bowl week or weekend, have fun. You have a life. Yeah. And just have fun this weekend. It's the Brad Super Rock, Bowl. we want to talk to you. We want to talk to you and see why you have this internal hatred of so many things. Alrighty. So continuing with our Super Bowl talk, yes. we're gonna do our final final predictions. Andrew, what are you gonna stick with your prediction from last week? I think it might be a little bit closer than I thought. Okay. Um was my last prediction thirty five to twenty eight? I think that was my last prediction. No, no, I think you went twenty eight to twenty one. I might have gone twenty. I think you had a yeah. Because I went, I know I went thirty one twenty eight for the Patriots. I'm going to go twenty four twenty one Rams. Okay, that's my prediction. Okay. Um, obviously I have to give it to the Rams because I really want them to win the Super Bowl. But it's like I've said, um, this is just going to be a weird game. Um, there's no, I don't think there's a clear favorite in this game. A lot of people are acting like the Patriots are the clear favorite, but I don't think that they are. I think that the Rams are well coached enough and have a good enough offense that they're going to give the Patriots some trouble. Mm -hmm. Not only that, though, but the Rams' defensive line is really, really good. Yeah. And that's where Tom Brady struggles. If he doesn't have time to throw the ball, that's where Tom Brady gets into trouble. Mm -hmm. And so if the Rams can put pressure on him in the pocket, I think it's going to be a long day for Tom Brady. However, he does Tom Brady things. So um, it could go either way. I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to, like, weep and cry if the Rams lose, but I will be disappointed. Yeah. And so, like I mentioned a second ago, my prediction was 31-28 Patriots. I think I'm going to stick with that. Okay. Um, so there's our predictions. Um, and just, you know, the headlines surrounding it. There's so many. Um, they're going to continue to be set over the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's going to be a fun game to watch. It'll be a good game. And it's like, um, for people who are just, they're still whining and moaning about the Super Bowl this year and the result of it. It's like I've been saying the last few weeks, just get over it. It's the Super Bowl. It's the Rams. It's the Patriots. It's in Atlanta. It's going to be fun. Just enjoy it. Enjoy it for what it is. All righty. I'll let Andrew take us home and sign us off here. We want to thank you for listening. All right. Yes. Thank you so much for listening to the UVU Review Quickfire Podcast with Andrew Creer and Tanner Heath. Um, if you have any questions for me, make sure to email me at my personal email address, andrewcreer at gmail.com. Um, make sure to subscribe if you're listening to this so you can get updates yes. on when the episode comes out. Um, it's, it's just helpful because then it will just let you know. And then I don't have to let you know. And life's a lot easier. So make sure to subscribe and we will see you next week. Thanks. Love you guys.